The full power of the gospel of Jesus Christ is contained in the Book of Mormon, period. Remember this declaration by Jesus himself. Whoso treasureth up my word shall not be deceived. And in the last days, neither your heart nor your faith will fail you. Hey everyone, welcome to the Book of Mormon podcast, episode 79, and you have Kevin and Shelby here as always, but we have a guest this time virtually, and she's actually been a guest on the podcast before, and we have Brandis here with us again. You were our very first guest, right? No. Um, someone be, yeah, one maybe before. Well, you were like the first one we met. Let me clarify. Like first one we met like via social media guest. It was okay. correct. There, that's what I mean. <laughs> that's right. It was, it was kind of a, it was divine way back. Design. Yeah, it was divine design for sure. It, and it wasn't virtual. It was actually in person. You just happened to be here in the Dallas area uh, for a wedding. And we just, we met a stranger and in a church, in a random church. Yes, it's true. And we just recorded a Book of Mormon podcast and it was awesome. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. Thank you guys for having me back. I remember just like, just loving talking with you last time. So I was excited when you um, asked me to come join you again um, so that we can just be uplifted by the spirit and talk about the scriptures together. Yeah, I love it. So we're, we're in Mosiah chapter 14. And what's funny about this is it's an, an Isaiah chapter, which is also what you talked about last time with some of the Isaiah chapters. So we're back in it. <laughs> so I'm excited. Um, where do we want to start? Well, just to catch us up. If, uh, if you're, um, for those listening and just to make sure that we are all kind of on the same um or caught up i guess abinadi he has taught the uh, the commandments and the reason that he's been teaching the commandments is that the priests profess to know and live by the law of moses which is uh, a strict law right? Full of commandments, performances, things like that. And he teaches them the commandments to point out that they're actually not living the commandments. And furthermore, they don't understand the reason for the commandments. They, they don't understand the reason for the law of Moses, which is to point us to Christ. So that kind of catches us up there. And he proceeds to go into, in chapter 14, he quotes Isaiah. And it says, compare Isaiah 53. Um, and it's all about Jesus Christ and his atoning sacrifice. So I guess the, the first place that I would start would be, you know, it, actually, if we look back in chapter 13, there, there's one thing that I wanted, or Shelby, you have something. What did you want? I think you were going the same place I was, but in originally in Mosiah chapter 12, when they, they bring up this, they actually quote Isaiah when mm -hmm. they're trying to question Abinadi um, in verses like 21 through 24. And so isn't this his response? Like he eventually gets there and this is like his response on those scriptures. I think thing. so. Yeah. I don't know if it was in 13 too or just 12, but well, yes, as they, as they bring Abinadi before them, and they try to question him. And one of the priests is like, well, what does this mean that the scriptures say? And they quote Isaiah. And he doesn't answer them immediately. He starts to, he, he, he starts to kind of figure out, well, how would y'all explain it? What does he do? Well, I think he wants them to understand what the law of Moses is first. Like, that's what he goes into. I don't know. What do you think, Brandis? <laughs> I don't remember doesn't he kind of say to him like you're asking me about the scriptures aren't you supposed to be the ones who know the scriptures you're supposed to be teaching the people right about these things, and now you're coming to me and 
and asking me, which is, it is kind of interesting that they pose the, the question to him, like, they're not embarrassed <laughs> to show that they know nothing about uh, what the scriptures um, say. I can't yeah. remember it's exactly this spot that he says that, but that you're referring to. That's what I would think too, is he, he kind of flips it back on them and then teaches them um, what the law of Moses is. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the commandments, he goes into the commandments a little bit, or obviously the law of Moses. And then um, now he's getting into, okay, like what, what, let's talk about Christ and how this pertains to the law of Moses. And so that brings us to 14, but I believe this is all coming from a response originally that they asked in chapter 12 of Mosiah. So anyway, kind of just set up the picture. Yeah, it's just, that's great background. And I think the verses you refer to are interesting. Uh, Chapter 12, verse like 21, that comes up again in 15. You know, he talks Mm -hmm. about those same ideas again. in Yeah. for sure yeah it's and i think we were kind of talking about this a little bit before we hit record it's kind of ironic that the priests of of noah brought up this isaiah verse when it is at least to us it's it's very clear as to what it's talking about it's it's a prophecy of jesus christ coming to earth um as a mortal being to perform the atonement, right? Mm-hmm. And I think it's it's interesting because we, I, I don't want to say we take it for granted that we know that, but um, these priests, they did not have a, a deep understanding of Jesus Christ, of who the Messiah would be and why they were even doing the 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 law of Moses, why they were following it. And so Abinadi points that out and he brings them to this point where he, he quotes Isaiah. And here we learn a lot of things about our savior um, when he was here on the earth. Um, Kevin, if I can interject, mm -hmm. Uh, it's interesting you bring that up because I was just looking at the dates. Yeah. So obviously this is before Christ. And I recently I don't know, in the last few months, I kind of had that thought. I was like, you know, it is so interesting. Like, do we believe in Jesus Christ because, you know, more, or we have more conviction of him because we, we come after him, right? We've had so many prophets at this point, like prophesy of him, but on the flip side, it's like, no, like they had prophets, you know, prophesying of him beforehand. Does it really matter where we come in relation Mm -hmm. to him? But it, I don't know. It's pretty, it's pretty cool to think about these prophets who had such a testimony of him before he came, you know, that, that Abinadi knew who he was. It didn't matter that he hadn't come yet, but he understood his importance, obviously like his eternal importance that he was willing to give his life, you know, telling these priests um, of this guy who would come, not just a guy, obviously, but the son of God. So it's pretty amazing. Like, I'm just so grateful for them and their convictions and, and, and writing all these things down so that, so that we can know, you know, post Jesus Christ coming who he is. Anyway. I like that. And when you were talking, I thought about even today, um, we still, we do look back on the fact that he came, right. And that he lived here on earth and that it was real. It did happen. Um, but we also look forward to him coming again which is even more awesome right I think um we we get that sense a little bit of what they were the prophets were prophesying of that he would come again and we get that today too but we also get to look back and know that he did come and that he will come again so I was just thinking about that when you were talking but anyway (laughs) yeah well let's go ahead and dive in to chapter 14. Um, so in verse one, it says, yea, even doth not Isaiah say, who hath believed our report? And I think that's interesting that it's like, who, who would believe this, right? I feel like that's what Isaiah was asking. And then going forward um, in verse two, the first thing that really struck out to me 
it talks about a tender plant um, mm -hmm. that that this Messiah he would grow up before um, uh, he shall grow up before him as a tender plant and as a root out of dry ground he hath no form nor comeliness and when we shall see him there is no beauty that we should desire him and from what I understand that just means that he's not he's not overly remarkable as a man he, he is actually just a mortal man when he comes in the flesh there's nothing although there are those who discern and come to know that he's the savior that he is the messiah just looking at him you wouldn't know that yeah there's a quote in the book or in the old testament student manual i read this in comparison to isaiah 53 with mosiah 14 and president joseph fielding smith said um did not christ grow up as a tender plant there was nothing about him to cause people to single him out in appearance he was like men and so it is expressed here by the prophet that he had no form of comeliness that is he was not so distinctive so different from others that people would recognize him as the son of god he appeared as a mortal man. So I liked that insight to that verse and um, that he, he was just like us. I mean, there was nothing that made him, you know, he didn't have like big flashing signs that said like <laughs> son of God here, you know, yeah. just a mortal man coming here to do the will of the father. Like we are. Yeah. I really, I like that folks is a little different than um, what I took from it as I was studying. I, I feel like uh, verse two is kind of a worldly look at him. Does that make sense? Like Isaiah's spinning in and showing us like, as far as the world goes and what they're concerned with, he, he was born into humble circumstances, kind of, you know, this imagery of a, a tender plant and a root out of dry ground, right? Like he's not born like other Kings were in these grand places, grand circumstances, and then I was thinking about how the world, I think not only in our day, I think the world has always been obsessed with looks, right? Like, mm -hmm. I think it's kind of a natural man kind of thing to be so concerned with looks. You know, we know that David was handsome um, and there are just like so many examples I could give, but <laughs> I think it was important that he, that he wasn't, you know, have some comeliness because Otherwise, he would have been popular for the wrong reasons, right? Mm -hmm. um, had he been really attractive. Um, anyway, those are some things that I, I thought about, like people who desired to follow him, like you said, needed to see with spiritual eyes who he was, rather than like some, you know, movie star who has people follow them, not because they're good people, but because they're attractive or or whatever. So. Um, but I really like what you shared, Shelby, that he was just yeah. like one of us. As, I as like that. I like that take. I like your perspective. I didn't think about it that way at all, because probably because I had read that quote by Joseph Fielding Smith. But I do appreciate that view. I mean, it's true. It makes me think about a lot of other things. So it's awesome. <clears throat> yeah, it, I, I really appreciate those perspectives and and. Yeah, I just thought, I thought of like a social media, like I, I likening it to our day, you know, there's social media, um, people have like just scores of followers, right? Mm. And, you know, sometimes it's for the wrong reasons. <laughs> um, it's true. So in, while moving forward in verses like three and four, well, actually I, probably the rest of the chapter well yeah i mean in verses three and four it really does go into it's along the same same thread we can pull that thread of that he was he it says he's despised and rejected of men a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief and we hid as it were our faces from him he was despised and was and we esteemed him not and that that's for the same reasons because he he was not he didn't come to tell the people what they wanted to hear mm -hmm. he told them things that were hard to understand um initially 
Uh, and then when he really did expound the, the principles of, of the gospel, um, it was, it became even harder for people to give up their old ways, you know, and we, we see that with Abinadi too, you know, he was coming to tell Noah and the priests what they were doing wrong. And that's, that's hard. That's hard for people to hear. So I, I really dug into the student manual on this one and the, another quote from Joseph Fielding Smith, I'll share it in relation to verse three here. And he basically repeats a lot of the verse that I like what he says. He says, was not Christ a man of sorrows? Was he not rejected of men? Was he not acquainted with grief? Did not the people figuratively hide their faces from him? Did not the people esteem him not? Surely he knew our griefs and carried our sorrows, but he was thought to be stricken of God and forsaken by him. Did not the people say that? How true all of these things are. And I think sometimes when I think of Christ, um, I think of more of the victory of the atonement and the resurrection and, you know, him after the fact, but all these things leading up to it. I mean, he was rejected. He was, he did have sorrow in his life. He had grief and there are people that betrayed him and enemies. I mean, people wanted him killed. And so, of course, this verse is so, it's true. It's a hundred percent true, but I don't think about that as much as I think about the fact that he was able to overcome all of it. And so can we, and so it was a good reminder for me to understand more of our savior and what he went through. So, and verse four too. Well, actually the rest of the chapter, that's what I meant by the rest of the chapter really gives us insight into our savior and what he he really did for us. Yeah, I think it's pretty, it is pretty easy for us to relate to, you know, when we have the the New Testament and, and the Book of Mormon, like outlining everything that he, that he went through for each of us. Like, I think it's this chapter in the next kind of reference back to Mosiah 3 a lot, right? Like where um, it's outlined in like great detail, a lot of what he endured uh, for each one of us. I, you know, kind of looking at um, three and four, especially sometimes that when I think about Christ, when I'm reading the New Testament, I think I'm sure people thought he was just crazy, right? Like he was kind of maybe mentally ill, like those who didn't believe in him, right? Like they're like, who, who is this guy? He walks around and says he's the son of God. Like, I'm sure it just, it kind of seemed like, you know, he was crazy to them. So for him to like, for Isaiah to describe it as um, rejected of men. Um, yeah, that he was stricken, smitten of God. Like, I think that all makes sense kind of in that context of those who, who did not believe in him. And, you know, the way he did things was so, so different from what, from what they were used to or what they thought was right. So. Yeah. They expected something different. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Shelby and I have been watching um, The Chosen. I'm not sure if you're... No, I, I want to. I keep meaning to watch it, but I, I haven't yet. But I hear it's amazing. And We, we just amazing. got on the bandwagon, but the only reason that I brought it up, not to delve too deeply into it, but there's a, a quote from, from the character Jesus in that show. And he says, get used to different. <laughs> right because it's he's switching things up on him um in verse six you know it it comes back to kind of how we respond um and, and how just people respond in general and will respond to him but it goes even further it goes even into our day it says all all we like sheep have gone astray we have turned everyone to his own way and that again made me think back to what we've read about king noah which is that he set the desires of his heart on well he 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 followed after after the desires of his own heart he didn't put um he didn't follow after his father 
mm-hmm. Zenith, who was a more righteous man, if not uh, faulted. You know, he had faults of his own, of course. But um, we kind of turn our own way. I, I wrote here that, oh yeah, uh, the, the next part of that verse, it says, and the Lord hath laid on him the iniquities of us all. And so even though that we are more inclined to the natural man tendencies, um, that is another reason that he came. It's, it's to, to make up for our nature mm-hmm. in some way. Um, in verse seven, I really, I really thought a lot about um, this verse, and it says, "And he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth." And there's a, um, you know, speaking of of kind of the multimedia that we we enjoy, the actual Bible videos that are produced by the church. There's a a video of when Jesus is being about to be taken before Pilate and um, he's being whipped and he doesn't make a sound. It's other than the, the sound of the whip lashing, there's no sound at all in the scene. And although it's, it, you know, it, it represents his meekness and his power, um, a, a bridled power, right? He controlled. I also thought about it in terms of that, that at any point in his suffering or his ministry, he could have used his power to convince people that he was who he said he was. He could have compelled them, really. He, he's, a, he's the God of the world, right? Mm-hmm. And then also when he's being condemned by the the Jewish aristocracy of that time and the Romans, um, there's a, a, it actually references to when he's speaking to Pilate and um, Pilate asks, you know, are, are you the king of the Jews? And, and, he's kind of questioning him and Jesus answers him and says nothing. And for, for some reason, I I didn't understand that before, but I was able to get in a little bit more, more insight after reading and pondering these verses. And it's because if he had opened his mouth, he'd be advocating for himself. Mm. And that's not what he came here to do. He, Mm. he came, he came to, do the will of his, of his father to atone for our sins so that he could be an advocate for us. Mm. I wrote down that same verse uh, from seven. It's in Matthew 27 verses like 13 when he asked the question and then 14 when Christ doesn't answer. Mm. And so I wrote that same thing down yet. He opened not his mouth and I thought of that connection too. Um, yeah to pilot questioning him but I never I didn't think about it in the sense that he if he had opened his mouth he would have been advocating for himself and not the will of the father so that's that's interesting Mm, that is a very cool yeah I like that um and I like how you use the word bridled for him because that's exactly what he was right like the perfect example of being um bridled I really, I loved the, the imagery in these two verses of us being his sheep, right? Like here he is the shepherd, like, and the, the, you know, the best kind of leader in that he, um, that like, he's totally giving his, his life for us. And, and I like how Isaiah says that, um, that we've gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way. And then he finishes up with the Lord hath laid on him, the iniquities of this, of us all. So like here he is, he's our shepherd and we, we can sin in so many ways, right? We, we can, 
there's so many diverse ways that we see people make um, poor choices ourselves and just others that we see. But, you know, that last part of that verse is like, he's just covered it all. It, it doesn't matter, you know, like there are so many ways in which we turn away from him. But as like this true leader and shepherd um, and as a savior, he's, he's given his life and sacrificed um, himself for all of those ways which we turn from him. Yeah. So. I like that a lot. Um, and we skipped over verse five, but I feel like that what you just said, Brandis, it does tie in nicely. And I just wanted to read it. Um, he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes, we are healed. And then the following verse, you know, says it covers it all. And so I love, I love the imagery and the the words that are used here. That's a pretty common verse that people know. Um, with his stripes, we are healed. So I just, I love that verse and I love what it has to say. Um, but does anyone have any more insight on that verse? Because we could go to verse eight, too. Okay, well, let's jump to eight. Um, he was taken from prison and from judgment and who shall, shall declare his generation? For he was cut off out of the land of the living for the transgression of my people was he stricken. And then in verse nine, it says, and he made his grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death because he had done no evil, neither was any deceit in his mouth. Um, so verse nine, I feel like it's talking about, I did think, and I don't know if this is right and maybe you guys can give insights. When it says, and he made his grave with the wicked, is that the two people that were next to him on the cross, you know? I'm pretty sure because I, I'm pretty sure I, I went to the footnotes and yeah, when it yeah. talked about that, him with the, um, what were they again? Was it one like the, a thief? I think they were both a couple thieves. They're both thieves, yeah. yeah. So it was, it referenced the scriptures that talk about the thieves and then um, with the rich was is referencing Joseph of Arimathea because he was rich and that's mm -hmm. where um, Christ's body was laid right so rich in death he's laid in yeah. a rich man's tomb so it's pretty, pretty cool like how specific like Isaiah knew what was going to happen man he was shown in great detail um, exactly what was going to happen it's kind of crazy it really just builds my testimony of the Book of Mormon even more because like how could Joseph Smith <laughs> have made this up you know like let me just throw in some Isaiah here you know like no this was divinely written designed for our time and like it kind of just made these connections like that so specifically too you know so it just builds my testimony of the Book of Mormon um ever more <laughs> What's really cool about the the rest, like the next three verses of chapter 14 is that they can then be, they're then expounded in the next chapter. Yeah. And, you know, in, in verse 10, it talks about, of course, it talks about um, his soul and offering for sin. He shall see his seed. And... I don't know if I, I don't want to like jump ahead too much, but that's something that will be expounded later on, um, which I had to do some studying to kind of figure it out. And, and I'm going to go there. So in verse 15. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we could, can we jump to 15? Because they're so yeah. Yeah. Time, so well. Because, yeah, because Abinadi, he's quoting Isaiah, but then like chapter 15 is really his commentary on, on Isaiah. Like our commentary right now on it, right? Right. <laughs> yeah, so it, is there anything that we want to talk about from like verses 10, 11, and 12 in chapter 14 before we move on? I really just looked into 15 in order to get an idea about, I mean, I had an idea already of how we are his seed you know, yeah. his, his atonement, but I, That's something. I didn't have more beyond that out of these verses. I will share one thing at the close of 14. Um, when it says it pleased the Lord to bruise him, 
talking about uh, Jesus Christ and God, uh, the Father, I there was a verse or there was a quote that Melvin J. Ballard kind of explained why it pleased God not to interfere with the sacrifice that Christ made. And I'm not going to read it because it's really long, but I will re read a little part. It says, um, I thank him and praise him that he did not fail us, for he had not only the love of his son in mind, but he also had love for us. Um, and I thought, because you could read that and be like, well, why didn't, you know, God help his son in, in this hour of need but there was such a a bigger there was such a bigger picture and I loved that because he loved his son but he also loved you and me and everybody else who was going to live or had lived or was living right like he knew um that this was something that Christ had to do alone and so that's why it it pleased him because it was going to bring all of his children back to him it was going to open the gates so I just wanted to share that in closing. I, I liked what Melvin J. Ballard said. But we can definitely go on to 15 because I did like, a, I, I studied the seed too. Yeah. <laughs> so cool. I think we got a little, we got a lot to talk about. <laughs> and just say that that's one thing I feel like a lot that I, you know, really sticks out in gratitude. You know, when I'm saying my prayers to Heavenly Father is, just how grateful I am that he was willing to allow Jesus Christ to die for us, him specifically, his, his willingness to, to do that. Like it is, it's the greatest gift of love because here was this perfect son and he could have intervened in all of, you know, and he had to stand by and like see those things happen. And I suppose just like us, he stands by and watches things happen to us, but he has enough love for us sometimes, you know, to allow us to go through hard things that I think just naturally come along being in a fallen world, but obviously allowing Jesus Christ to go through that had to have been hard. And what a great um, gift of love to each of us. Yeah. And, you know, coming to, to have a, a real testimony that our father in heaven is literally our father. We are literally his children, just like Jesus Christ was his child. Right. Um, it can help us have a, a greater, greater perspective, definitely greater appreciation for what was actually done and what was prepared from the foundation of the world. Um, so kind of to go laterally to, to verse 10 and 11 of chapter 15, just to talk about this idea of, you know, this, uh, the seed or his seed. And of course that, that generally in, in scriptural language is like posterity, right? Children. And so um, it says in verse 10, and now I say unto you, who shall declare this generation? And when I read that at first, I was like, okay, what's, what's he talking about here? Hmm. Behold, I say unto you that when his soul has been made an offering for sin, he shall see his seed. And now what say ye? And who shall be his seed? So who are the beneficiaries, if you will, of the atonement of Jesus Christ? It's it's us. It's his children. And we've we've learned before in, in chapters past, um, earlier in Mosiah, how we are the children of Christ how he is our, uh, our spiritual father because he spiritually begot us by, um, you know, not only did he atone for us, um, but, but our, our spiritual welfare is kept by him. Yeah, I love that. I was, I was just thinking, yeah, back, um, you guys just studied this in Mosiah, like chapter five, it talks about that in verse seven says and now because of the covenant which ye have made ye shall be called the children of christ his sons and his daughters for behold this day he has spiritually begotten you for ye say that your hearts are changed through faith on his name therefore ye are born of him and have become his sons and his daughters and actually this ties into the first couple verses of this chapter as well where it gets into like this kind of confusing like he's the father and he's the son right. um 
and we can jump i can bring that up in a second but well, let's, anyway. yeah let's go there okay let's okay. let's let's we're kind of jumping around a little bit but that's okay um so yeah let's scroll up to the top of the chapter or, or flip to yeah, depending those one through three is kind of well even to four but yeah i'll i'll read them and now abinadi said unto them i would that ye should understand that god himself should come down among the children of men and shall redeem his people and because he dwelleth in flesh he shall be called the son of god and having subjected the flesh to the will of the father being the father and the son, the father because he was conceived by the power of God and the son because of the flesh, thus becoming the father and son. There's, um, well, okay. There's a lot in these verses that explain, um, cause I think Abinadi doesn't want us to get confused about the, the, um, like the doctrine, right? Like who God, Jesus Christ are, like, who are they? And so um, I think he tries to really teach what what he means by calling God, you know, or what he means by calling the father and the son and all these things. So I feel like Kevin has something to say, though. <laughs> I can like feel it coming from him. <laughs> yeah, I've been preparing like two weeks to have this conversation. <laughs> yeah. So I'm excited to learn. Let's hear it. So the beginning of chapter 15 could easily be misconstrued as, you know, as Abinadi teaching, you know, the, the Holy Trinity, yeah. right? Mm -hmm. uh, Trinitarianism, if, or Trinitarianism, I'm not sure, <laughs> whatever the word would be, which is that, you know, God, the Father, and then Jesus Christ, and the Holy Ghost, are actually one God, that they're they're not separate beings. Now, it's pretty clear to me, and of course I'm in I'm in good company. But if we look through the scriptures in the in the New Testament, um, it's pretty clear that the the Godhead, as we know it, which is God the Father, God the Son and God the Holy Ghost are all separate beings. Uh, God the Father and Jesus Christ being uh, individuals with bodies of flesh and bone themselves, the Holy Ghost being a, a personage of spirit, right? It's pretty clear from the New Testament that these are three different people. I mean, at one point, God speaks from heaven while Jesus is baptized and comes out of the water and the Holy Ghost manifests himself in the form of a dove, like just right there. So wait, are we talking, did they just split for that one instant or like, and now they're back <laughs> together as one, you know, and there's a bunch of, there's a bunch of evidence in the scriptures to support that they're three distinct beings. I don't really think it's important for us to, to, go much into that but if we look at what Abinadi is talking about and we understand that he's his what he's teaching is in the context of um jesus christ condescending from his place with the father in heaven to earth to atone for the sins of the world then we we can glimpse what he's really trying to say and I will give credit to our new friend um, who we, well, he doesn't know us, we know him, but he runs the Unshaken Saints YouTube channel. And he goes super, super deep into the scriptures. Um, and what he was talking about when he was, he was covering this chapter last year in Come Follow Me, he talked about if we insert a few words here for for clarity um it, it'll help us understand so we'll start in verse two and because he dwelleth in flesh referring to jesus christ he shall be called called the son of god and having subjected the flesh to the will of the father being the father and the son so 
you can't stop there. You have to keep reading. The father, because he was conceived by the power of God, and the son, because of the flesh, thus becoming the father and the son. And they are one God, yea, the very eternal father of heaven and of earth. But, and still you can't stop there, right? <laughs> yes, he's, he has different, he has a, a father's side and a son's side. He's divine, but also mortal. In verse five, and thus the flesh becomes subject to the spirit or the divine side of Jesus Christ or the son side to the father's side. Hmm. Um, and it even talks about being one God. He, he suffereth temptation and yielded not to the temptation. So Jesus, while he was in mortality, he received some things from his human mother. He received the ability to die and to, to you know, live tempted and, and live through temptation. But he received other things from his father, who's God. And those things that he received was the power to resist sin and also the power to overcome death, which he received from his mother. Does that all make sense? Like, did I do a, a pretty good job of kind of explaining that? Yeah. I think so. Yeah, I thought that was some cool insights about the son's side and the, you know, what he got from his mother as well. In the... Oh, oh go ahead, Shelby. No, it's okay. You can go ahead, actually, if you want. Um, I was just going to say, I, I think part of this, one of the cross references to verse one was Isaiah 54, three, and it kind of highlighted, um, I don't know, maybe I should read it, reread it even just for myself, because my note I have is, um, is that he's the God of this world, right? Like when we talk about who, who's basically set up this whole this whole plan for us, it's been him, right? He's hes the creator from the beginning. And then in the Old Testament, um, he talks about how he's I am and that that he's the God, you know, of this world for us. Um, and so I think that's also a way to look at it is, um, and then, you know, also he's the God of this world. He came down, like you said, in flesh and he subjected the flesh. Um, in his sacrifice for us and then becomes our spiritual father. Like we were, that's kind of the tie here, you know, with verse 10 is, is that he is the father um, spiritually to us. But let me see what verse three, um, maybe Shelby, I don't know if you can flip there and read it for us. <laughs> yeah, I was also going to share a quote really quick before we get there um, from, like I said, I was in the book more student manual a lot. But when I talked earlier and made that reference of, you know, Abinadi doesn't want us to get confused here, and he really wants us to understand who God is and who Jesus Christ is, um, it can get confusing because they refer to Jesus Christ as the Father and the Son, right? And so, um, Elder, and I'm not trying to backtrack, but I do want to share this quote just to kind of explain. It says, Elder M. Russell Ballard explained why Jesus Christ is sometimes referred to to as both the father and the son. And you explained really great, like really great, the, the, the spiritual side and the mortal side. Thanks. Um, but I'm gonna read uh, Russell Ballard here. <laughs> it says, how can Jesus Christ be both the father and the son? It really isn't as complicated as it sounds. Though he is the son of God, right? God, our heavenly father, he is the head of the church, which is the family of believers. When we are spiritually born again, we are adopted into his family he becomes our father or leader. In no way does this doctrine denigrate, I don't know, denigrate the role of God the Father, like our Heavenly Father. Rather, we believe it enhances our understanding of the role of God the Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. God, our Heavenly Father, is the Father of our spirits. We speak of God the Son as the Father of the righteous. Um, and then it also goes on to talk about the third member of the Godhead being the Holy Ghost, but I know that's probably not where you were going, Brandis, but I did want to share <laughs> that quote about 
how is Christ the the Father and the Son? Um, and I've just really liked how Russell and Ballard explained that um, so simply. And Kevin, you explained it well too. But um, well, and it was two different. It was two different things. And and I I want to hear what Brandis wanted to say too. But yeah, I mean there there's one which is I like what Elder Ballard said, which he's the father or he's the head of the church. And so that makes us, you know, his family, his children. Um, uh, and that actually goes into what I wanted to get into later. But for now, Brandis, what did you want to, what did you want to add? Um, oh, so sorry. I think I called out the wrong verse. So it was, it's kind of the same thing I already said, but I'll just read it. It's Isaiah 54 verse five. For thy maker is thine husband, the Lord of hosts is his name. And thy redeemer, the Holy One of Israel, the God of the whole earth, shall he be called. So just calling out that, you know, saying that he's God himself, he is literally God himself, the God of this world. So I like that. <laughs> well, where do we want to go in 15? <laughs> There's a lot. Well, since we've, we kind of, not kind of, we definitely talked about the, the first couple verses and, and clarified a few things. I wanted to go to verse 11 again, where we kind of um, stopped when we were talking about uh, his seed, the, you know, this generation. Um, and it says, behold, I say unto you that whosoever has heard the words of the prophets, see all the holy prophets who have prophesied concerning the coming of the Lord, I say unto you that all those who have hearkened unto their words and believe that the Lord would redeem his people and have looked forward to that day for remission of their sins, I say unto you that these are his seed or they are the heirs of the kingdom of God. And I don't want to, I don't want to get off track, but recently I've, I've looked at the term prophet and Although we have living prophets, seers, and revelators, right, who are ordained to that distinct office in the church or, or calling in the church, a prophet is also one who witnesses of Jesus Christ. And so, and, and not that I would walk around calling myself a prophet, though I have on occasion called Shelby a prophetess okay <laughs> but with that definition in mind of a prophet when it talks about we are his seed we are witnesses of Christ we witness that he made an offering his, his soul was made an offering for our sin and and that's the the um What's the word I'm looking for? That's the, the criteria for us being born of the spirit, right? So there's all this symbolism with regard to him being our father, but it, it only goes, I would say it only goes so far. That's not really true either. It, it's <laughs> infinite. It's all encompassing. So in the, in, I guess, familial uh, relations, it only goes so far as to symbolism, but spiritually and, and, and very, in a very deep way, it's completely true. He is our father. He's mm -hmm. the father of our spirits. Yeah. And, and going back to what you said, Brandis, at the beginning, like talking about a, a shepherd, a leader, like tending to us, that's, that's also the, the job of a father to watch over his, his sheep. Right. Yeah, I like that yeah. connection as the role of a father. Yeah, I really when you, you were talking about prophets, that same kind of thing stuck out to me, actually, when I read that in 13. It was something that I feel like I kind of really stuck out to me as a missionary. I was like, I'm a prophet. I'm out here teaching. I'm talking about Jesus Christ to people. And so that was something that really stood out to me at that time. And then I just kind of 
came back to me again as I was studying this and I was like I I think that's okay I think we shouldn't feel weird about calling ourselves prophets I think we feel that way just because of the church organization now and that we have you know a prophet at the head of the church and we talk about prophets like Abinadi or you know all the different prophets throughout the scriptures but we are also prophets maybe we'll call us prophets with a small p or something I don't, I don't know right <laughs> when we when we're out opening our mouth and prophesying and I I guess I feel like I've had experiences you know throughout my life like even still where I feel like I'll say something and like, I know that it's from the spirit and that it's true. And it's talking about, you know, I'll say something that's in reference to what's to come that I have confidence, you know, by the spirit and what I'm saying. I, I felt that a lot as a missionary. So, um, yeah. I think that's, that's a real thing and nothing, we really shouldn't feel, we shouldn't have to feel, feel weird about it. So I like that you were kind of like, want to be careful about it, but, um, <laughs> were you going to say something Shelby? Yeah, I think what I was going to say is that Kevin, he was probably very hesitant because I, when he used to call me a prophet, a prophetess, I was like, I'm not a prophetess. Like, what are you talking about? Like, oh. and he even got our institute professor, um, Brother Turner, to explain what a prophetess was and how I, you know, I mean, you're a prophetess too, Brandis. Like, we, we are, um, I believe it now. Like I believe it when Kevin says oh, it, even though I still believe that first. Come on, Shelby. Yeah. <laughs> you didn't believe it at first. No, I, well, because it was such a weird thing. I thought of prophets, like what you were saying, um, and yeah. as you know, prophet president Nelson and, and Joseph Smith. And I think of those type of things. And I'm like, how could I ever be, you know, like those men, but really all they did was they they testified of Jesus Christ and they also were endowed with other gifts to be able to see and receive revelation for the church and what Christ would want, but which is the difference, right? Like we don't get direction for the church. <laughs> right, right, right. Exactly. I'm, when I say that, you know, I've had those experiences, it's in my realm of, of responsibility or whatever. So. Right. Like you're, you're part of the shepherd or you're part of the vineyard. So. Yeah, exactly. Um, there was a little more that I wanted to say oh about us being his seed I think it's really interesting in these verses like 11 through I guess 11 and 12 it's we really get to choose whether or not we are his seed right like right. if people don't believe in Jesus Christ they actually I don't know maybe I was like oh this line is a little fuzzy but are they his seed if they choose, if they don't choose to believe in him? Because that's what Abinadi says here. He says, you have to believe him and follow the commandments. And I think basically use the atonement in your life in order to become his seed, right? What do you guys think about that? I think you're hundred percent right. And, yeah. and the reason that I am so confident is just so far in this year, studying in the doctrine and covenants, things that the Lord has taught himself in this dispensation um, has, has led me to have a, a greater testimony that he wants us to choose to follow him. And it, it is a conditional relationship that, that he has with us, right? Mm -hmm. We have to choose to follow him. We have to do the things which include the following commandments, which even more specifically, you know, um, uh, receiving the, the necessary ordinances, you know, baptism, confirmation, and then being endowed in the temple and sealed. You know, these things are not small things. Um, and, and again, I'll say it, it's conditional uh, upon our change of heart, our repentance, and our obedience that we're blessed with all that he has in store for us. Otherwise, he's not obligated to give anything to us. He's merciful. And so he's, he, Jesus Christ and our father in heaven have created a plan whereby even in our circumstances, our specific circumstances, we can come into those possibilities. It doesn't matter if we don't get the opportunity to do that here, or it doesn't matter if something happens that isn't our fault here on earth. 
that'll be taken care of. But for the vast majority of us, especially those sitting right here and listening to this podcast, I would probably say that there's, there's a lot more, um, how, how should I say it? We have a lot more to like live up to. We have to really take it and run with it. Where, what's that scripture where much is given, mm, much is required. Absolutely. Um, and I wanted to touch on something you said, Kevin, in the Bible dictionary, the word covenant is, um, I like the definition of it. Um, it says sometimes or covenant sometimes denotes an agreement between persons or nations, more often between God and man. But in this latter case, it is important to notice that the two parties to the agreement do not stand in the relation of independent and equal contractors. God in his good pleasure fixes the terms which man accepts. Um, the same word is sometimes rendered testament. And then it goes on to say that the gospel is so arranged that principles and ordinances are received by covenant. And so when you talk about um, having agency to choose and, and being in this relationship, um, that's why he provides those covenants so that we, you know, we can come back to him. And as long as we are obedient and we do those things, we are his seed. You know, we are his seed through those covenants and, and the promises that we make. So, um, I don't know why when you were talking, I just thought of the word covenant and covenants bind us to God and therefore access um, to his atonement fully and his seed. So, yeah, yeah. I, I think, you know, with you talking about covenants, like we, we really don't get to partake of the atonement without covenants. Right. And that shows the importance of the vehicle of the church and, you know, allowing us to, uh, use the atonement of Jesus Christ in our lives and obviously the priesthood um, being restored. And I really like, I feel like the word agency kept like popping out to me as I was reading these virgin uh, verses um, mm -hmm. and you brought that up, Shelby, like that's a big part of it. It's agency. Mm -hmm. And Kevin, when you were talking about doctrine and covenants, that's something that I feel like I've learned a lot from the first, you know, sections we've studied in the doctrine and covenants is the word desire. I think, and I think that's kind of what you were getting at is we see in the doctrine and covenants a lot. It's like the Lord's like, if you desire to do this, you, you get to be a part of my work. And this is kind of the same thing. Like it's the people who have the desire to repent and be forgiven um, and to progress and become like Heavenly Father and Jesus Christ, that we are, we become the seed of Jesus Christ. And he says at the end of, um, uh, I just saw it at the end of verse 11, that not only are we his seed, we become the heirs of the kingdom of God. Like that's the ultimate gift of um, believing in Jesus Christ, keeping the commandments, living the gospel, making covenants and keeping them, we become the heirs of the kingdom of God. It's, it's pretty, pretty amazing. But yeah, I think it, it comes down to our, our desires and then our actions of, of trying to follow the Jesus Christ in our lives. Yeah. Well, I love it. <laughs> well, I think we, we can kind of conclude there, um, kind of wrapping up there at the end of verse 11, 12, 13, and I guess through like 16 and 17, you know, it, it starts to talk more about I guess, how we can conditionally um, become his seed. And so I think we'll, Shelby and I will take the time to, to study that more and the rest of the chapter. And that's where we'll come back to next week uh, on the next episode. Brandis, what, I mean, other than everything that you said, which is just you're such a stud, um, <laughs> what are your, what would your, like, what are your takeaways from your studies over the last two weeks? Oh man, you're going to put me on the spot. Um, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, you are. Um, I think, I think the main takeaway is just continuing to cultivate, you know, the desire and using my agency, you know, to, um, 
follow Jesus Christ to become like him and doing that through repentance because that's that's how I become his seed and then ultimately receiving um, the greatest gift that Heavenly Father and Jesus Christ um, have for me. And, you know, 14 really leads up to that. It teaches us all about what he, all the terrible things he went through in order for us to become his seed, basically, right? And to return to him. And so, um, you know, what are, just like President Nelson talked about, I guess my takeaway is, what can I do personally to repent more, dig in more to become like Jesus Christ? Um, because I believe that's that's what happens to us as we repent and use the atonement that he's given to us. So I don't yeah. know, hopefully that answered your question. What about you guys? I think my takeaway is back in the context of the story of what's happening. Um, because this is what he's preaching to these wicked priests and King Noah. And here we are sitting here talking about it with an understanding um, and having made covenants with God, you know, and so it's easy to understand, but if I were one of those, um, I kind of put myself back in the situation of being one of the priests and just like maybe feeling a little bit overwhelmed at first, like what, like, I guess I didn't understand the law of Moses and I didn't understand who Christ really was. And I'm, you know, if they're humble, but of course we know that the majority of them are not and they do, you know, reject his teachings, but I, I look at it in the context of the story and being one of those priests and I understand where um, Alma could have been so touched to accept these words and humbled. So I think that's my takeaway is to um, just be a little, repent and be a little more humble and understand his words. So. You know, I, I would take both of those and, and kind of combine them together you know, when, when you're, when you're really willing, as President Nelson has taught to let God prevail in your life. Um, you, you understand that he's already done it all. He, we, we, we can jump on and, and be carried on. Like we can take off with him or we can be left to our own desires and our own strengths which are fleeting at best you know i mean some of us are getting stronger but that's um you know at a certain point there that's a diminishing return and you know in the context of the book of mormon story that we're in yes looking ahead to you know what we know is happening in the heart of one of the priests he's making that decision to let god prevail in his life um as opposed to saying like oh no i'm i'm uh, in putting or turning back to chapter 13 abinadi says for i perceive that they talking about the commandments are not written in your hearts. Mm. Something else is in its place. Mm. And I kind of made this comment in Sunday school today. Um, but, you know, we, we have to be careful about what we set our hearts on because generally what we set our hearts on, we get. So be careful. Is it, are you setting your hearts upon higher holier things or are you like denigrating yourself with lower unholy things that you know that, that are not for your eternal gain that don't qualify you as the seed of jesus christ so that's what i that's that's what i would take away from our studies these last weeks i, th I think that's really good you know what are we studying our Hearts upon. I feel like I kind of heard that in general conference, you know, not mm. focused on distracted by worldly things and then in our state conference today as well. So I like that. Oh, yeah. I just have to share because it's my favorite verse. This will bring us to a close um, about what Kevin said about your heart uh, being set upon the right things. 
Mosiah chapter four, verse 30, it says, but this much I can tell you that if you do not watch yourselves and your thoughts and your words and your deeds um, and, and observe the commandments of God and continue in faith of what you have heard concerning the coming of our Lord, even unto the end of your lives, you must perish and oh man, remember and perish not. So what we set our hearts on, those are our thoughts and they eventually become our words and our actions. And if we're not careful, we, we could choose the wrong way and perish. And we don't want to do that. And that's why Christ came down and um, God, our heavenly father, let him suffer so that we could live. So anyway, I just had to share it because it's one of my favorite, favorite verses in the whole Book of Mormon. <laughs> thank you. Perfect. Well, Brandis, thank you so much for being on with us again. Thanks, we, you guys. Um, I, I hope you have me on again. Just going to re-invite invite myself back <laughs> again. Of course, of course. We, yep, you're, you, it's kind of like giving talks in sacrament, you know? You, you, <laughs> I'm just going to have my turn again, so, you know? That's right. Well, you guys, I guess, get to decide the cadence of however often that is. <laughs> well, thank you again. And, um, and until next time, um, next week, we're going to finish up chapter 15 and we'll go from there. Yep. Awesome. All right. Thank Thanks, you. you guys. <laughs>